Oh my gosh. Feels, it sounds, it almost feels like heaven at that point in time where you could <laughs> get away with anything. You could get any kind of dollars approved, whether you wanted to do out of home, any kind of advertising, talk about building documentaries, videos, name it. Hi, and welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media. And as always, I will be both your host and bartender today. Today, my guest is Bhaskar Roy. He is the head of marketing at Workado. And while Bhaskar is usually talking about automation and integration, today we're not talking about that. We're discussing how the world of marketing has changed in the last three years, went from what he calls heaven in 21 and 22 to a bit more challenging environment today for marketers. But he's talking about how the companies who are winning are going back to the basics of marketing. And we're gonna unpack what that looks like today. So if you care to grab a drink and join me as I speak with Bhaskar. Hi, Bhaskar, welcome to SAS Half Full. Hi, Lindsay, how are you? Glad to be here. I am glad you're here also. This has been a long time in the making. Are you joining me for a drink today? I am. I have what did you make? I made my favorite, which is old fashioned. Nice. You know, which is, I'm a, I, I like bourbon or you can say the brown liquids, the bourbon, the whiskeys, the scotches of the world. So old fashioned is one of my go-to cocktails. I want to get on the bourbon train. I have tried many times and I just can't get there. But I'm going to continue my quest to find one that, that I like. I am in the office today, so I went to our beverage fridge to grab what I could. And I'm trying a High Noon, their new tequila seltzers, which everybody tells me are phenomenal. We shall see. I will let you listeners know at the end if I agree. So cheers. Looking forward cheers, to our discussion. Bhaskar, you talk a lot, very regularly, about things like aggregation, integration, automation. All the things, but we are not talking about that today. We are going to talk really more to our marketers, who are the, primarily our listeners, about the need to go back to the basics in today's market, which is very different than how it was in what we're now calling the good old heydays of 2021 and 22 as SaaS marketers. But before we dive into that, I want to give our listeners a better understanding of who, who you are and your role. You have been in enterprise software for the majority of your career, from what I can tell on my light LinkedIn stalking. Talk us through your career in enterprise software and then bring us to what your role is today as head of marketing at Workado. Absolutely. So, you know, my background, I started as a product person and have been. So software developer, product management, product marketing, and became basically started working with the marketing team quite a bit. And in enterprise software, I worked at companies like Oracle, Microsoft, and had a blast. And I did multiple roles there. I led channel marketing, product marketing, demand gen. And then for a brief period of time, I went down the consumer path as well. Did two startups on the consumer side. One which got acquired by Skype and Microsoft, so ended up again in an enterprise software company. The great thing with enterprise software, and especially when it comes to marketing, is it, it is it is hard. B two B marketing and B two B SaaS is hard trying to really figure out all the various motions that's needed, and it's a breadth all the way from managing sales. How do you take it to market? The product market fit. What does that look like? Sales enablement. Awareness, demand gen, which is very different than just lead generation. So it, it covers a gamut of things for you to do, which is phenomenal as a canvas, as a, any marketer. 
Workado, I've been with the company for now seven years or so and have been leading marketing over here. And it's, it's really great to see how we have evolved as a company throughout. And uh, yeah, having a lot of fun here. Could not simplify that more. B2B marketing is freaking hard. It's so hard. And the fact that you've been at this at one company for seven years makes you like a legacy marketer. There is a reason that the B2B, especially B2B SaaS marketer, those leadership roles have very short tenures and they just keep getting shorter and shorter. In my opinion, specifically the CMO role, and I've said this before, I believe it is the most difficult role in the C-suite. And I continue to feel that way. So the fact that you've been with Ricardo for seven years is incredible. I'm sure they are very grateful to have you there. Can you tell us a little bit about what Workado does and why the company exists for those on that are listening who may not know? Yeah, absolutely. So we are an integration and workflow automation platform. What I mean by that is if you look at a typical company today, everyone is buying so many applications. So the data is siloed. The workflows that you did, the way you manage even any process is just splintered across so many things. So Workado is a platform that you can use in order to basically automate your workflows across the board. And while doing so, if you have to move data or integrate data, you can do that as well. The reason why customers choose us is very simple. It is to be able to democratize automation throughout the company. Typically what happens is if you go to any company, if you want any project to be done, which integrates data or automate workflow, you go to IT. And then right. IT will have its own line of projects. There's a backlog and you sit and takes months for them to get it done because your project may or may not be a priority. Whereas with Workado, the IT team can set up policies and governance capabilities across the board. And me as a marketing team can then say, my marketing ops will do all the automation. And I know it will have the security and governance and we are running on our own. Finance can do its own operations. The BizOps teams can do their own automations across the board. So we are a mechanism to democratize that through a low-code, no-code platform. Some, Bhaskar, might call that the new automation mindset. Some may call it that. And even though I said we're not going to talk about automation and aggregation, I would be remiss to not mention that your CEO does have a new book out that's currently available for pre-order called The New Automation Mindset. How and if you want to learn more about that, where can people get a free copy of this book? Yeah, absolutely. So it's available for pre-order from our website. It is wero.com slash free book. That's the place to go and you can pre-order your copy. Perfect. And I'm, I must give a just a midway rating of this high noon new tequila seltzer grapefruit. It is so good. A lot of times I try these and I'm just I like, oh, no, this is bad. And I just try to work it through the whole episode. This is so good. Everybody that told me it was delicious was right. So I am happy with my Monday afternoon voice. All right. All right. Let's give, it a, give it a call, I guess. That's right. <laughs> so we are going to shift focus now and talk about our topic of the day. Let's take a stroll down memory lane back to 2021, early 2022, when companies were gross at all costs, valuations were insane, and my gosh, did we have a lot of marketing dollars to spend. Talk to us about what that was like, Bhaskar. Oh my gosh. Feels, it sounds, it almost feels like heaven at that point in time, right? <laughs> get away with anything. 
So you could get any kind of dollars approved, whether you wanted to do out of home, any kind of advertising, talk about building documentaries, videos, name it. You had everything that was needed because it was just growth at all costs. But it is, um, it's unsustainable. And I think that's what happened over here where it got to a point where if you go back to the core of marketing, it is predominantly about the dollar that you're spending and how much you're getting back. It is ROI. And we went away from that during that time, including me. And so now it is actually getting back to the basics, right? What are you spending on? What's the ROI that you're getting? Is it the right thing to spend or not? And just being focused about doing things, which is providing value at the end of the day to your customers. I think that's like the number one thing that, that marketers need to do. Yeah. And the reason that felt like heaven is because probably the last 18 months have felt like sheer hell for a lot of marketers. Now the term do more with less, they're like, if I hear this one more time, literally, I'm going to take this pen and put it in my eye. It has become the most hated phrase so far of 2023. Is there, you'd mentioned you could get away with anything. Is there anything you can think of or remember that you got budget for that you like would never be able to get that budget for today? Basically, we lacked awareness. We are a Gartner leader in our quadrant. We have bigger companies as who we compete with. And so we lacked that level of awareness. And so we launched a campaign called Paint the World Teal. Teal is our Mercado color. And so we launched this campaign and it was all about how can we really drive awareness through out of home and various other mechanisms which are there. And every team in every region had a budget to just go drive that awareness. Wow. Not something that we can do at this stage. We are doing it in other formats in the sense more field events, more user group, more community-driven things rather than just focusing on that out-of-home side of things, which is achieving actually better results, I would say that. But there was a time when during those times we had this campaign around just paint the world to you. And it was like, what's the ROI of that? Who cares? Yeah. We're out and we're everywhere. You know, on that particular front, we did see a lot of ROI. So when oh, we did this, we looked at branded traffic that was coming from these places which we are doing. And we had a very specific, when you came to our website from that region, there was a very specific call to action on our website as well, since you have seen those. So we did a lot of things around tracking out of home. And we saw real positive ROI from that. So it's not that we didn't see ROI. It was just that the amount that you spent to get that ROI was significant. Sure. And I'm going to put a pin in the brand spend ROI because I do want to talk about that here later in the conversation. So getting back to basics, workers are having to. To your point, they have to be very specific about how they're spending budget and measuring the return on investment of that. One area that you feel very passionate about that in regarding back to the basics is realigning and refocusing on a superior customer experience. Do you feel like that was lost in the heydays where money was aplenty and budgets were high? Did Were there a lot of SaaS companies you feel like took their eyes off of that? I think so. I think at that point in time with all the everything that was going on, Customer experience is always a big thing, right? But think that people ignored that for a bit. And I'm not saying that everyone did. A lot of great companies still continued their focus on customer experience. But in a number of times, you know, what I felt when I was, as you can imagine, as a marketer, you evaluate a number of software tools, people are pitching to you all the time. 
and you would go to these meetings and you would realize that, gosh, why did I even spend this 30 minutes over here? Because it was all about them, very little about what that means to me as the buyer. And I think that is the part that I started seeing quite a bit where it became more about, hey, this is what we do. This is what I am. This is why you need me. Rather than what is it, Mr. Customer, that you are looking for? How can I add value? How can I really provide the service that you need in order to make you achieve your business outcomes? I think that shift uh, happened mainly because people were just buying software. We're buying things across the board. At that time, too, was especially because there was such a demand for SaaS tools, it was almost, and not every company to your point, but there was a shift in you need us more than we need you. Right. Mentality, right? Because there was a surplus of need and demand. But to your point, the companies who didn't lose sight of that customer experience are the ones who continue to win today. But so we can level set with our listeners, how do you define customer experience? So for me, it is looking at, I means I even put the buyer experience as a part of customer experience as well. So there are two aspects of it. Every touch point of a customer, are we providing delight and value to them? If they come to our website, do they get what they're looking for? And once they go down the path of becoming a buyer, are the SDRs aligned? Are sales aligned? Are we talking the same thing? Are we looking at value, making sure that they get that? So that's one aspect. And once they become a customer, how quickly are they starting to adopt our product? How much are they adopting the product? Are they getting the ROI from the product that they need or not? That entire aspect is how I look at it. So all the way from them looking at Workado to becoming a life lifelong customer of ours. Okay. And who typically owns CX? And then in your opinion, who really should? That's a great question. We have a customer experience team and that team reports straight up to the CEO. And so we do a lot of things around it, but they are almost, they are experts in customer experience and they actually channel the rest of the organizations and bring them as to what is needed. So on a very regular basis, they'll provide insights. They're doing customer interviews a lot. They're doing win-loss interviews a lot. They're talking, they're looking at various user journeys and they would come back to saying that marketing, this is what we found. Let's discuss as to how we do this. Our customer success, this is what we found. Our sales team, this is what we found. Our product team, this is what we found. Let's discuss as to how we can make this better. So we have a very specific customer experience arc that looks at it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know which is the better way to ask this is how should it be measured in terms of success and or when do you know that it's failing? <laughs> that it needs improvement. I guess that could be asked either way. Yeah. So there are uh, four different ways. One is that the two, two things are definite, the standard industry metrics, which is CSAT and NPS. So both of those are things that we look at. The third thing that we look at is the usage growth in our customers. If our customers are happy, are they use, is their use growing? And the second part of that is, Cutter is a horizontal platform. Like I was saying, it can be used in multiple departments. Is the usage growing not just in one department, across multiple departments? So that's a clear signal that they're adopting what Cutter throughout. So that's the third signal that we look at. And the fourth is how much are they willing means how big of a reference are they for us? Are they champions? Are they glad to speak at events and other places? Do they feel happy to just refer customers to us without us prompting them? So these are softer signals, but we look to see have they gotten to a point where they feel so good 
that they themselves are promoting Mercado. That fourth point is interesting. I would imagine there are, most of our listeners say, yeah, the one and two on the MPS, yes, we do that. And just, I guess, depending on the nature of your specific business uh, growth, upsell opportunities. But that fourth one is, are they champion? That's where, even for our clients, we do PR for B2B SaaS companies, is we do get a lot of pushback of, oh, you don't have any customers that can participate, or we have customers that love us, but they're not allowed to participate in media. How do you start with finding out who those customer advocates and champions are going to be? Certainly, there are data indicators of are they a happy customer, but who's responsible for that internally to make that ask? And then what what are you asking? Yeah, and the asks varies, right? So there is no, we don't force our customers to have a very specific ask one or the other. So the managing of champions and who they are, it's a combined thing between marketing and customer success. So we are, we look at that together. But in terms of our asks, so for example, we have an event coming up and who is the right speaker for that? So we shortlist the customers and we go to our champions and ask, ask them directly, would you be open to that? So we don't have saying that, okay, now you're a champion, you need to do A, B, C, D, E. We just go with ask. The great thing that happens is some of them will come and say, hey, I would like to open a user group chapter in my region because there is nothing there. When they do that, it's like huge signal that, oh my gosh means they're willing to invest their own time to, to do this, which is phenomenal. Yeah, means there is no clear answer to that, Lindsay, but I think it is something that you cultivate and manage throughout. And this is the part where I believe that every part of your organization has to do that. It is not just a marketing job. It's not just sales and go-to-market teams job. I think product plays a pretty big role in it. Everyone means finance, means are we making sure that the customer is happy or not from the billing or the finance engagement right. that we have. Every bit matters. So I think building those champions is not just, okay, this team is there. I think it's a company-wide initiative. And on our side, we have is essentially value or operating principles. And our first company value is customer comes number one, two, and three. And we live by that, let's say. To the point where this may sound very weird, but our head of product, who's also the founder, he doesn't hesitate to put an engineer talking to a customer to debug an issue. Wow. And he says that through that, you learn empathy. You learn as to what the customer is facing and you build better products as a result of that. So it's ingrained, wow. ingrained throughout the culture of a company. That is a slippery slope. I have had some not great experiences when I've been put in touch with an engineer for customer service. It hasn't gone well. But I agree with you of having that customer experience be consistent across all touch points, because even to your point about invoicing is if your if your experience is defined as easy and happy, whatever it is, and it's a complex invoicing system and your controller is a highly annoyed, tense person, if not matching my own, my customer experience. Have you had any recent interactions you can think of with companies that can be consumer or B2B where it just like sticks in your head as a kick-ass customer experience? Actually, yes, it happened. It was not me, but a couple of friends, we went to a Giants game, Giants versus Dodgers game. And so we went down that path and there was a particular area, Vince, the friend of mine, he had a, a Vince club, an invitation. So we were going up. 
And so there were only two of us going up. The third friend of mine, he said that I'm going to be here for a short time. So he told the Giants person saying that I just want to accompany them just to get a drink or two and then I'll leave. I'm not really staying for the game. Can I go in? They actually went out of the way to actually make that happen. So they said that, okay, understand that you're not going to do this. Why don't you buy this cheapest ticket over here, which is a $20 ticket and just buy that and we'll let you in. You don't have to worry about club pass or anything like that. And it just, he was over there on his phone and he got it done within five minutes and he joined us. To me, that was like someone went out of the way and rather than trying to milk it or trying to really fleece this person and say, now you have to buy whatever X hundred dollar ticket. Right. Actually went out of the way to make sure that the person was happy. So it was, it was. That's surprise and delight right there. Exactly. Because that does make him more likely or less likely to want to attend a Giants game again. I'm guessing more likely and come back and probably spend more. So they are really going to up their user growth on that one, I would imagine. Love that example. Thank you. Another area that you have outlined as going back to the basics is around a growing emphasis on thought leadership and SEO and SEO content. So I want to unpack this one. When you say thought leadership, that means different things to different people. What are you seeing when you say thought leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. This is not mine. This is from a book. There's a book called, that I really like. It's called The Challenger Customer. I don't know if you've read that or not, Lindsay. It's a great book. And in that, they talk about two things. One is thought leadership, which is when you read something and you go that this is actually a very interesting point of view and you leave with that. So that's the takeaway for you, that there's something interesting, a very different point of view that you got. The thing that I believe in is what they call is the frame-breaking content, which is when you read it, you go, hmm, this is interesting and I should do something about it. That's the part when you know that this particular person who has read it is now ready to take an action. So my team and others, we look at how can we develop that kind of content, which is not just thought leadership, but they, when they read it, they go, say, go and say, I should do something about it. I may have been doing something wrong or not something as good and I need to make that change. When they get to that, to me, that's how I define, I call it frame-breaking content because that's how the book defined it. But to me, Mm -hmm. like in that umbrella of thought leadership. Okay, I have not heard that term before, so I am writing it down, I'm underlining it, frame-breaking content. Now I'm leading, gonna lead you down this path because we have to lead some of our clients down this path too. My assumption is that this frame-breaking content isn't saying the same thing everyone else is saying and isn't just regurgitating a very common point of view. What are some common threads that you see when you're reading frame-breaking content? I think it, it just is, it's almost 180 degrees from what others are saying. It's pretty much the opposite. But they tie it in a way whereby think that, yes, that is how it should in these current situations. So one is obviously it breaks away from the noise because it's providing a very different point of view, but majority of the time they hook you with almost like an opposite of what the norm should. And I think that's the hook that they carry through throughout that particular narrative that they have. That's a common thing that I see. And I like those because it provides a very different perspective than what you typically would get. 
Oh, Bhaskar, you and I are in such the same wavelength. And my colleagues that will listen to this episode are going to be rolling their eyes because I can't tell you how many times I look, I will look at a piece and I will say, flip it on its head, make it negative. And it doesn't mean that it has to be highly controversial or super divisive. But instead of saying three reasons why you need workflow automation, it's why workflow automation will tank enterprise. So this is your thinking, whether that is webinars, if this is a podcast narrative, it could be contributed content or guest post op-ed on your site, blog posts, all of this you're putting falling under thought leadership. Yes, absolutely. From all of those vehicles. And also believe that the thought leadership, you have to have a common theme across the board when you're producing thought leadership. Otherwise, people get that they need to find their center around Workado and understand what that is. So your thought leadership should surround typically with just one theme for a period of time, because it takes time for people to absorb and go through it. What I mean by that, if you're constantly producing thought leadership content on multiple things across the board, it may or may not stick or the entire brand voice may not come through across the board. So that's how I at least view build frame breaking content, but it's still on a very single thread. Sure. Breaking content as to say, for example, how do you automate your marketing workflows? How do you automate finance workflows, et cetera? But it still has that theme of automation, which you're building your frame breaking content rather than going completely different here and there. Totally agree. Now, Bhaskar, this whole shift in marketing right now, tight budgets, recession, there's a even greater emphasis right now on short-term tactics for immediate ROI. I get it. Brand and thought leadership typically is not associated with a direct ROI driving strategy. So how are you, with Workado, for example, how are you able to make the case for or draw the lines between how more of these brand efforts are creating and impacting demand? Yeah, so the way we have started looking at it is mainly, it's uh, in, in lack of a better term, almost like an integrated pain around thought leadership as well. So for example, we talked about the book. So we now have, we are running a thought leadership program called the New Automation Mindset. Book is a vehicle, one of those channels to do it. We are looking to do a podcast around this as well. We are looking to build out customer stories that do it. We have our own user conference coming up end of August. And guess what the theme is? The New Automation Mindset. We are looking at what are the various ways we can get this book to our customers and entice them in order to maybe give someone else the book a referral coming in. So we are looking at this not just as one thought leadership piece, but as a thought leadership platform where we can do multiple touch points. There will be some which will demand gen, some which are just awareness oriented. That's totally fine. So that's how we are looking at thought leadership, at least in, in, in this coming year and maybe in the next couple of years or so. Does yeah, that make so sense? That, yeah, it does. So it goes back to what you said of, of having a theme and then promoting that theme in and around all of the places that you can and have control in your marketing. So you have this theme, the central theme, and you are intertwining both your brand activities and your demand activities so that there isn't this finger pointing, right? You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Which, by the way, I feel like the finger pointing gets unfairly put on brand a lot. 
it is because brand, you can't show that you're affecting my pipeline and demand. But on the flip side is there are times when demand activities negatively affect brand they, and it doesn't match the customer experience and it doesn't match what my customers have come to expect from us in terms of language, in terms of imagery, in terms of frequency. But I be like the finger a lot of times is, well, you're not impacting me. It's like, maybe you're not impacting me the right way either. But that's my TED talk on that. Laskar, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to make sure that we tackled today? No, I think we covered quite a bit of ground. I'll go back to the first thing that we talked about, which is customer experience, which is Vince, the more I dive into this, the more I think about it. To me, if we all as marketers look at how can we provide the best possible, really delightful experience to our customers, I think everything else takes care of itself, right? Everything, if you center around it, everything just takes care of itself. Yeah, I would agree. This has been awesome. As I end every episode, I ask each of my guests if they have a signature or favorite toast to send us out. I wouldn't say do more with less, for sure. <laughs> no. No. that'll start a bar fight that will not get people to yeah, that, that'll be that'll go in fact i would say cheers to 2023 and 2024 cheers we got this we got this. we're gonna power through we got it we got this Thanks again to Bhaskar for joining me on SAS Half Full. I loved this conversation. He was speaking to topics that are very near and dear to my heart, as you can understand. Thanks for letting me ramble on and put my point of view in there as well. If you enjoyed this, please feel free to leave us a rating, share this with your friends. And also, if you care to be a guest on SAS Half Full, hit us up and let us know. And for those listeners that have listened all the way through to the end of this episode, thank you. We have a little segment called One More Drink where I ask all of my guests the same question, Bhaskar, which is what do you wish more CEOs understood about marketing? I'm lucky. I would say that I have a really good CEO who understands quite a bit about marketing and pushes that through. So to me, it is what you alluded to. Marketing is a long-term game. It is very cross-functional across the board. You have to interact with pretty much all the teams throughout. So you should have your expectations that marketing, not something that will give you immediate ROI. Means there is demands inside of things, etc. but you're playing for the long term. So marketing is a very long-term game. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, bottoms up. <laughs>